If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. Every time SpaceX launches one of their rockets into space, it's covered with our sensors. They're all over the place. So when Gaga flies in on a cable, there are sensors involved in that, making sure it stops at the right spot. You know, there are a lot of examples of arts meeting technology. Sensors are all around us in practically every aspect of everyday life. And although we tend to take them for granted, they can be a component of creating something magical. At the 2019 Sensors Expo and Conference in San Jose in late June, TE Connectivity was one of the exhibitors. And on hand were Pete Smith, who is TE's Senior Manager of Product Knowledge Sensor Solutions, and Jen Gilberg, TE Senior Director of Strategy Sensor Solutions. Pete, what was the path that led you to the work you do right now? Oh, my heavenly days. I started off studying chemistry and engineering, and my general plan was to go into chemistry. And I got invited early on for a company that was a startup in Denver, Colorado, and they were trying to figure out ways to measure the concentration of smoke electrically with electronic circuits. And they needed a little help with the chemistry, so they asked me to come work for them. And I was I was new kid on the block. I didn't know what, <laughs> what I was getting into. But what they ultimately ended up doing was inventing the smoke detector, the home smoke detector. And so there's a, there's a wiki page on it, and you can read about it. I was a very, very tiny part of that team. That was the new kid wet behind the ears. But I thought to myself, wow, this is what you can do with sensors. That's pretty neat, so I think I'll stick with it. And so I have, and I've been in the sensor industry since 1971, which is, what, 48 years now? So. I've worked through many companies in engineering, product design, sales, and marketing. And now I work at TE Connectivity. And my title is Senior Manager for Product Knowledge and Training. And so I, my job right now is to come up with programs to teach all of our employees about sensors. We have a very broad range of sensors. And it takes a lot to make sure they're well-educated in all the kind of products that we have. So. It's been a long journey, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm a really old guy and I'm still having fun, so I'm going to stick with it for a while. What's nice is we big kids never really grow that's up. That's right, that's right. I tell people that. I haven't decided what I'm going to be when I grow up yet. <laughs> and may we never decide. That's right, fun. exactly. My audience are mainly makers and teachers, so what does TE connectivity mean to them? What have you done with sensors that maybe they're going to be experiencing today in their average workday? Sensors are everywhere. We're a company that plays in the sensor world, but you've never heard of us because sensors are usually buried somewhere down inside a machine or some application that most people, it's transparent to them. They don't realize that there's sensors involved with the process. But simple things that when you go to the doctor's office, the first thing he does is he slips that little clothespin thing like over your fingertip. Well, there are sensors in that, and we make those sensors. We make just the sensor element. We don't make the whole device. We don't make the display or the electronics that goes with it, but we make the sensing device itself because it's the hardest part to make. So in medical, 
you'll find our sensors everywhere. They're in all kinds of medical machines and equipment for ambulatory care, for home health care. We make the pressure sensors, temperature sensors. We make position sensors, humidity sensors. You find our sensors in industry, all over the place, in factories. You find them in aerospace. Every time SpaceX launches one of their rockets into space, it's covered with our sensors. They're all over the place, and we make it possible for the rocket to survive, primarily, because they're monitoring loads and, and forces and speed and aerodynamic events that are going on with the rocket as it's leaving the atmosphere. So, And they use that data from those sensors to guide it, to maybe slow the engines down a little bit if some force on some piece of the equipment of the airframe is too high. And so they, it's very sophisticated stuff that we do there. If anybody, any of your... Your audience, listeners, <laughs> wear a Fitbit or any kind of uh, health tracking device or fitness device. We have sensors in those. We have altimeters that measure whether you're walking up the hill or down the hill. So you can't cheat the system. You can't walk two miles all downhill and claim that you burned so many calories because the Fitbit keeps track of that. Oh, poo. <laughs> so. Jen, I'm going to ask you a very similar question to what I asked Pete. I had asked him about getting into TE connectivity, and I'd like to know a little bit about the path that led you to where you are today as well, because I've read that you were an anthropology major and then a management major. Yes, so I actually tripped and fell into high tech. So I encourage anyone, I'm a big fan of the liberal arts education, and I once wrote a blog, Long Live the Liberal Arts Education, because I do think it gives you curiosity when you study a lot of different things. So how I ended up being an anthropology minor was I took a class and loved the professor and then took all of his other classes and (laughs) racked up enough credits to be a minor. And funny enough, when I joined Intel, I used to work at Intel, we had an anthropologist on staff. She was a fellow. And the reason we hired an anthropologist is we were looking at how we expand into third world countries and how technology is used. And she would span out and go into third world countries, Africa, and, you know, they weren't plugging things in and they weren't, you know, connecting via Wi-Fi. It was all cellular. And so, you know, she kind of identified early on how companies like Intel can use technology to expand in where it's not the way we think of things. And so I was so excited to have met her because I'm like, wow, I could have used my major, (laughs) but yet didn't, So or my minor. So, you know, I started working in tech as a temp receptionist answering phones, because when I graduated from college, there was a recession in 1988, long time ago. And, you know, we hustled, and so I started answering phones at a high-tech company and worked my way up through sales. They moved me to California. I was living in Boston. And then just, again, having a curious mind, I worked in cybersecurity for many years. And I saw this trend of IoT a few years ago coming on, and I was like, wow, that looks really exciting. We're putting compute everywhere. The use cases are fascinating. So using technology to improve agriculture and our food supply, using technology to minimize waste, you know, things that, you know, I am passionate about. And so I, you know, kind of took my cybersecurity background and started doing cybersecurity for IoT. And that's how I got into 
learning more about sensors and all of that. And then TE found me and hired me to look at their strategy. And again, looking at how we grow our business in these emerging mega trends like IoT and autonomous driving and other areas. Let's talk about some of those cool applications, especially in third world countries. Today, what is TE Connectivity doing in countries like, for example, Africa? Yeah, so I think, you know, we're looking at, again, different use cases for sensors. So I would say, as you look at challenges like water supply, challenges like food supply, our technologies are used by our customers. So, you know, it's not TE going out and selling this. It's working through our customers with interesting applications around smart agriculture, where you're measuring water in soil to know when to water. You're measuring the composition of soil to know what to fertilize. A lot of the machinery that's being used in agriculture has a lot of TE sensors on them. So I think we're following what our customers are focused on and a lot of them are looking at solving real, you know, real world problems around, you know, our food supply. We do a lot of food waste. So a lot of food gets damaged in transit where a truck might get too hot. And so we're now putting sensors out on truck beds to monitor the supply chain and make sure that you know temperatures are maintained consistently so we're not wasting food and a lot of that is you know targeted at countries that are struggling with their food supplies and water supplies so can i add one thing to please that? Sorry, we're yeah. running into some inquiries especially from asia regarding vertical farming which is a new play in the agricultural space where they are Today, if you look around America, for example, farms are spread out acres, yeah. right? They're all flat, one-dimensional devices. And so what's happening in Asia, because they're limited on space and agricultural space, is they're starting to make vertical farms. They actually will build racks, enclosures, like this room that we're in right now could probably hold an acre's worth of crops if you go up to the ceiling. And so they build these racks, they run water lines to the racks, and they have plants all hanging in the racks, all from top to bottom. The advantage of this, and we have sensors all over that, we're monitoring the flow of the water, we're monitoring the humidity and the temperature in the room, controlled environment. And the advantage of the vertical farms is there are multiple advantages. First of all, it takes up a very small amount of space. You can still grow a lot of crops. You can control the environment and there are no pests, no bugs inside, so you're not spraying pesticides anymore. What are some of the very coolest innovations you've seen lately in the area of sensors? What's coming down the pike that we don't know about just yet that you can actually talk about? There are efforts to make sensors smarter, more intelligent, and historically sensors have been just that. They just sense the temperature and send the information somewhere and then some other machine or system or user takes that data and does something with it. Today, our customers are asking us to put more intelligence in the sensors, so we're moving microcontrollers into sensor products, so they can actually begin to process the data a little bit. They may amplify it, they may signal condition it for changes in ambient conditions, they may do a little bit of analysis on the signal to say, okay, this is something unusual about the signal from this sensor that we need to alert you about, and so it's The word you hear a lot is edge computing, where they're actually putting computing power out at the edge. The sensors are at the edge of the world. There's a control system in the middle. Sensors are at the edge, and they're all feeding data into the cloud sits here. 
Same question to you, Jen. Yeah, so I'm going to go a little more sci-fi-ish. And these aren't necessarily sensors that TE is in production with today. But you asked, you know, what's going on in the world of sensors. And so it is not too far off in the future where there'll be implantable sensors where, you know, sensors go in your bloodstream or in your body to measure certain things. Today we do have some sensors like pacemakers have sensors in them and things like that. But there will be these micro sensors that are in your body. And that is, um, you know, years ago it was in sci-fi movies. Now it's a reality that's coming. A couple universities have been doing some work and there was one from Drexel University in Pennsylvania where our headquarters is and they did a spray on sensor. So, you know, it could spray on trees or spray on things to measure temperature and humidity. So I thought that was kind of cool and innovative. So it's not in mass production, but it's just kind of showing where the creativity is and where the technology is going. So in addition to the sensors getting smarter, they're also getting smaller and they're also being made of different materials. So anyone out there who's interested in physics, you know, a lot of applied physics and sensors kind of go hand in hand. So a lot of our technologists at TE, you know, do have PhDs in applied physics, which is, you know, interesting. So for materials physics, because again, you know, the materials of the sensors are changing and pretty cool. Yeah, use cases. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lots of innovation. Do you foresee a day when we would spray sensors on our bodies, for example, to tell if we're eating too much yeah, or yeah. if we're not exercising hey, enough? Why not? You yeah. know, <laughs> who would have thought you could eat a sensor and you know tell? Or who would have thought some of the things that you know a car could drive itself? Like we never envisioned that when we were younger. So absolutely. <laughs> Maybe we could train the spray-on sensors to consume some of the calories. Yeah, yeah. Right? I like that. I would to pay power for that the sensors. One. Then you power the sensors from body fluids or yeah. something. So. Or, or, or uh, get rid of wrinkles, you know. <laughs> Make us look 20 like we are inside. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, or so. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Or get rid of the gray. Yeah, something yeah, exactly. of that nature. Yeah, yeah. What about privacy considerations when you talk about sensors yeah. in the bloodstream? Yeah, so I think that's always going to be a concern. And luckily, there are bodies that are really trying to regulate that. So in in Europe, they have really strict privacy concerns kind of following World War II. And I think you know they lead the world in privacy and making sure that people's data is protected. So I do think, you know, that is always a factor when, you know, we look at these new technologies is what is our responsibility as technologists. You hear a lot, you know, with artificial intelligence, you know, Elon Musk is often quoted on the dangers of AI and letting it go too far without regulating it. So I do think the industry has its eye on it. I think the industry needs to be regulated (laughs) because there are, you know, their eyes will go further than, you know, I think people want. But, you know, it is a concern, it is an awareness, and people do pay attention, and the regulatory bodies globally are paying attention. So hopefully it won't go too crazy before, you know, we won't have mistakes made before we regulate. (laughs) Hopefully the regulation will stay ahead of the technology, so. What are your thoughts on the regulation, Pete? I worry about it. I echo what Jen said, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of concern, a lot of hand-wringing over security. 
there are a lot of been a lot of examples recently of people that you would expect to have substantial security on IoT, on internet, on computers, and the headline is Target supermarket got hacked or bank of somebody got hacked and a million records were stolen or something like that. And you'd expect these people to worry about that before it happens. Yeah. And so, and there's people out there, very, very smart people that are finding ways to get around all the security that people build. It's a game for them, I believe. And they want to play and they're very successful at it. So it's a big concern. And some of the issues relate to, I think, regional issues where in some places it's there are people trying to put in regulations to help protect, and there's other places that are open source. Wild West, yeah. Wild West, yeah. it's crazy. And, yeah. so. and I would say, kind of on the security front, the good news is, having come from the security industry, when we see a big breach, we look at it and we say, huh, yeah, it's not earth-shaking. It was really usually caused by an error on the part of the vendor. So I'll give one example, BMW. They have a like wireless connection to the service center where they can you know send updates and you know let you know when you need an oil change and you know it's their infotainment as well. And the password they were using was the VIN number of the car, which is on the windshield. And so and also on databases online, so you know you can easily acquire a VIN number. And so once the hackers knew that all BMW's passwords were the VIN number, you know, they could start doing some malicious activities like, you know, trying to take over the car. So it wasn't self-driving, so there was no bad thing, but, but it was, you know, a learning. It was kind of the security world, like when they heard BMW's were getting hacked, everyone's like, oh my gosh, is this a new malware attack? And then they found out it was the VIN. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, default passwords are bad. <laughs> so one rule is anytime something comes with a password, change it right away. <laughs> and so to something just, not yeah, obvious. To something not obvious, exactly. So anyway, so I think... You know, the good news, bad news is, the good news is most of the malware attacks are ones that are preventable. The bad news is no one's preventing them. So, you know, so we'll get that balance. I'm not, you know, if you worry too much about it, you know, we won't progress. But I do think we'll make mistakes and we'll hopefully course correct on security and privacy, you know, as we go forward. And it will get prioritized, but usually after mistakes are made. So... It'll be a little one step forward, two steps back on some of these. So. And in some cases, we need to look to simplicity. And the one that just Jen mentioned, I was while she was talking about, I was thinking about it. This one solution to that is the most low. Te- it's a high tech problem, but the solution is the most low tech you- thing you can think of: a piece of tape over your VIN number. <laughs> Exactly. Nobody can see it. (laughs) Sometimes the obvious is really the best solution. Exactly. That is hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) What about resources? Jen, you mentioned Drexel University just a minute ago. What about any resources that people might like to know about sensors, specifically anybody who likes to build a robot, as a number of different people do that are listening to the podcast? So I would say, you know, YouTube is actually a really good resource because they do in fact you know i'm starting a project where we're building i'm working with a a girls stem group where we're building an air quality sensor to measure air quality in pennsylvania because we're a big polluter and i want to get kids excited about 
solving the problem and also excited about, you know, girls excited about technology. And I found, you know, how to do it on YouTube. So YouTube does have a lot of how to. There's also a lot of maker kits. So Google has their Raspberry Pi, you know, compute board. And then, you know, that's some of the microcontrollers like NXP. Atmel does. Atmel does. Like a bunch of these have microchip. microchip, sorry, microchip, have these little dev kits that you can get and you can plug sensors into them and buy sensors from distributors and make a little use case up. So there's a lot of resources online. And then just, you know, following, you know, Googling where the research is happening and what universities are doing some, you know, interesting things. You know, there's a lot, you know, in the arts even, you know, where technology's meeting the arts. You know, I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and little known fact is there's a town next to Lancaster called Lidditz, and it is the rock touring capital of the world and they do all of the staging, sound, and light for every touring band and Cirque du Soleil and Broadway shows. And they actually use a lot of sensor technology because they use a lot of robotics with the staging as these shows get more and more sensationalized. So when Gaga flies in on a cable, there's sensors involved in that, you know, making sure it stops at the right spot and, you know, the lighting, there's sensors involved in that. And so, you know, there are a lot of examples of arts meeting technology. So I encourage, you know, young kids, you know, if you think technology is just coding, it's not. It's, you know, it's really a, a lot of, you know, really interesting problems you're solving, whether it's food supply or how to get Lady Gaga to not <laughs> fall from the raft or, or pink or whoever is flying in. You know, those are technology is behind that and robotics is behind that and sensors are powering robotics. And so, you know, there is a lot of really cool use cases that I encourage young kids to kind of look beyond, like when you see, you know, a cool light show, like think, wow, what's the technology powering that? And that could be your, you know, if you're interested in that, that's your career path. So, you know, I really do encourage that curiosity and, you know, look behind the scenes of, and usually there's some technology and usually there's some sensor attached to that. So a career in sensors is, you know, a good growth opportunity. It's not, you know, going to get replaced by a robot, at least not the use case design and thinking up how to use them will never be replaced by a robot. I'm getting that sensors are the elements of magic in a tech sense. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> and the only it's a reason... great way. It's, it's sprinkled with fairy dust. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason in the world I'm not asking you about that cool project with the young girls is because I promised I wouldn't talk yeah, yeah, yeah. so we're, we will talk yeah, later. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to tease that one and we'll come back and talk about that one. So, <laughs> What about resources, favorite resources for you that you'd recommend to a roboticist or anybody else? One of the ones I've seen used a lot... We have a neighbor where I live who is a teacher in an elementary school, and he has introduced Lego robots. Lego has an entire kit of robotic components that you can purchase very, very inexpensively, so anybody can get into it. Elementary school children are starting to play with these. And the advantage is they have sensors built into them. They have robotic actuators so that they can create things that move in reaction to the things from the sensor. And it's very inexpensive. And they're not teaching just sensors or the idea of robotics. What these Lego kits teach is applications. How do you apply 
the stuff. You know, it's great. You can have a mad scientist that knows everything there is to know about something, but if he can't do anything with it, to society, he's not that, that great a resource. What you want and what we want to do, or what this, this fellow is doing, is trying to teach his students to think about how you use these things to solve a problem, a problem in the classroom or whatever they're doing. And so these robot kits are very, and Jen mentioned some, several people make them. They make some high-level ones, too, that are quite sophisticated. I think you find in high schools now. But if they start them early with the Legos, you know, everybody loves Legos, you know. I've got a giant box of Legos. I'm, I'm a really old guy, and i got a giant box of Legos in the back. So. <laughs> I can get tempted by them myself. I have a signature question I always ask at the end of a podcast. I'd like to put it to both of you, which is, if people could get only one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what do you want them to take away from you and your work? Jen, can I start with you? Yeah, I would say I'm going to go back to my curiosity theme is, you know, just really never stop learning and always be curious because there's always going to be problems to solve and there's going to be new problems to solve. And if you stop learning, we're going to stop solving those new problems. And so I really encourage, you know, curiosity. And my career has been defined by being curious and kind of switching and zigzagging, you know, through different technologies that were, you know, trending at the time. And so I would say, you know, be curious because we have a whole lot of problems to solve and we need you guys, you know, to save us. So, <laughs> Pete, how about you? Jen stole my thunder um, <laughs> because curiosity is the, is the root of all technical development, to be honest, and particularly with sensors. I would encourage people to look around their own world. For example, and this is a habit that I developed many, many years ago, when I walk into a room, the first thing I look for is the sensors in the room. <laughs> I've looked for the sensors in the room we're in right now. There's probably 60 temperature sensors in this room. There's some humidity sensors. There's some temperature sensors on the wall for thermostats. There's sensors all around us. And people don't, and there's sensors on the ceiling that I haven't quite figured out what they are yet. <laughs> and so, you know, most people when, they, when they're walking around, they're looking down. I encourage people to look up because there's a lot of cool stuff if you look up. So be curious, wonder what is that? And if you don't know, go ask somebody and they might tell you. So, <laughs> so yeah, curiosity is the key. Pete, Jen, thank you for your time today. Oh, You're you. very welcome. Fun. We're happy. You and I have been listening to Jen Gilberg, Senior Director of Strategy Sensor Solutions at TE Connectivity and Pete Smith, TE's Senior Manager of Product Knowledge Sensor Solutions. You'll find more information on TE Connectivity and what they're doing at TE.com. That's TE.com. Meanwhile, Sensors Expo and Conference have announced their dates for 2020. Their 35th Anniversary Edition Conference is happening June 9th through 11th in San Jose. You'll find more information on SensorsExpo.com. That's SensorsExpo.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at 2Mavericks.com. That's 2, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, 2Mavericks.com. And you can contact us at 2Mavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at Pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon, 
here's wishing you a cappuccino day.